0: Uh, good morning, Ellen. Thank you for coming all the way from Cape Town to come and address us. My name is Enrico Knussen. I am from Stellenbosch. And uh, also, a big thank you to Alec for hosting this event. My question is the following What is the probability that there can be a breakaway in the ANC so that the, the left hand side? lines up with Julius Malema and the right hand side lines up with the DA and all the other parties. And if that did ever happen, what will the outcome be in a national election?
1: I think the national election will precipitate it rather than be the result of it. And let me explain why. Firstly, Enrico, there have been many splits in the ANC, many. You will remember that Bantu Holomisa and the UDM split in um, the 1990s and there was all this fanfare and Financial Mail supported Holomisa at the poll. Every time before an election there's a split, right? Then we had the Independent Democrats, then we had COPE, I mean always, then hung again and again and again. So the ANC has split a lot and it splinters all the time. The trouble is that none of those parties can survive and grow. Why? Because the ANC is not held together by any vision, any political philosophy, any ideas, any set of policies, none of that. It's held together by patronage. It's held together by access to resources. It's held together by understanding that knowing the right people can get you jobs and can get you wealth. That is patronage politics and it is the source of the failed state in Africa. That concept And patronage politics is not some weird idea. Human beings are programmed to look after their families first, their groups first, their parties first. That's why democracy is such a huge break from that. It says you don't. There are rules, and you don't favor your clan or your group or your tribe or your party. You go by the rules, and you make sure that it's a fair competition and that it's a meritocracy. Now, the ANC has never understood that and never practiced that. And that's the only thing that holds it together is patronage politics, right? Now, what I was trying to explain there is that in the next election, let's say the ANC gets 48%. That's what the Bafana-Bafana model projects. I'm hoping it'll get much lower, 46% like it got in this last election, but the ANC always does better in national elections than in local elections. So their prediction is 48%. Let's say they get 45%, or 46%. Then we're in a much stronger position. Then they're going to have to look around for coalition partners because they need above 50% to govern. Then the choice is, do they go with the EFF, or do they go with us, or the host of smaller parties? I think it would be a massive diversion and a waste of a whole election cycle if they went with tiny little parties to make up the 50%, like all these small little parties that don't know what they stand for. We need to push the ANC low enough to have the leverage that we need. Give me a lever and a fulcrum and I'll move the world. We need it low enough so that we can move it. When Cyril comes to us, like he looked at Jordan and said, thank you very much, Mr. Mayor, when they come to us, we have to say, our conditions are this, non-racialism, remove race laws from the statute books, open market economy, no expropriation without compensation, etc., etc. Separation between party and state end cater deployment. Those are our conditions. Julius Malema will have his conditions. Nationalise all property. E- enable the party to control the state and give the state control over the economy. Two completely different visions. The ANC is going to be very, very divided. If Cyril Ramaphosa is president, and depending on his deputy, that configuration could become very, very interesting. So the 2024 election and the result could precipitate that division. It could happen before, depending on what happens at the ANC's conference at the end of the year, and the huge divisions that are going to happen there. Because Cope broke away before an election, not after an election. So that, Enrico, is exactly the pattern that we're working towards. Set tough conditions and make sure that realignment happens because that inchoate mess that is this hugely dominant ANC held together by the power of patronage has to blow apart to bring people together who believe in the same thing. Lots believe in what the EFF believes in, some believe in what we believe in, and that's why we have to be strong enough to carry the day.
0: Good morning, Helen, Nick Hudson from Cape Town. Hi, Nick. Hi, how are you? Um, Thank you for an absolutely riveting discussion. Um, My head is full of questions, but I'm going to ask one that I came into the room with.
1: No maths, please, Um, Nick.
0: No maths whatsoever, don't (laughs) worry. (laughs) Helen, the World Health Organization is proposing a treaty to be signed by apparently dozens of nations in May. and As far as I can tell, that treaty would allow the suspension of the South African Constitution and of national executive powers, or rather the, 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 the uh, abrogation of executive powers to the World Health Organization whenever the World Health Organization decides to declare a pandemic. Uh, is my interpretation here wrong? And does the DA have a policy with respect to this looming treaty?
1: I'll be quite honest, Nick, I haven't read the treaty yet. So when I haven't read something for myself, I feel quite um, hesitant about commenting. But the DA has, after the third week of the pandemic in 2020, we agreed with a lockdown for three weeks to get the hospital system ready. We said the hospital system is not gonna cope, they need three weeks to get ready, we agree with the lockdown for three weeks to get it ready. After that, we have consistently opposed it, and we believe that you cannot curtail fundamental freedoms in the way that those have been curtailed. They are absolutely far too fragile for states to be able to ride roughshod over them, and we've been very opposed to the central command system. And we have seen the imposition of the state of disaster as an excuse to develop a top down control mechanism that will bypass our constitutional structures and allow commands, because that's what it's called, to be issued by Nkosazana Dlamini Zuma, who stands at the apex of that through, by virtue of her position as the COGTA minister, and issue instructions. The whole district development model is based on this command structure. You have National command centres, you have regional command centres, you have local command centres, they call them ward-based war rooms, in fact. And that has all happened under the deck mantle, The um, what is the deck mantle in English? Anyway, of the D- Disaster Management Act. We took the Disaster Management Act to court for review. We never win anything in the Western ha- Cape High Court because of Judge Chlope and he um, allocates the judges, and I'm not, that's not an exaggeration either, and thereby hangs a tale that I'm pushing... I don't exaggerate, I tell the truth even though it sounds like hyperbole. But we've got that on appeal, we're currently applying for leave to appeal, which has been argued on the papers, and we will go after that Disaster Management Act, which is entirely unconstitutional, doesn't even have oversight of Parliament. So we would totally oppose a World Health Organization claiming that they could impose a state of disaster and suspend constitutional freedoms on any country. And if that is what that treaty proposes, we will oppose it.
2: Uh, hi, Ellen, my name is Gary Strubel. Um, you used a phrase earlier um, while you were addressing us, the media, which is often a, a phrase that means many different things to many different people. And coming from a media background, I'm just really interested to hear your thoughts in a, as you progress to this 2024 election How do you see this enormously changing environment from what traditional media, newspapers and television, and now into a digital era, we we see the huge impact in America and England with Facebook and the Analytica Cambridge uh, scandals. How how do you see a changing media environment being utilized to your benefit um, as we move towards that?
1: So that must be Gary Stubble from Michael House, is that right? There you go, Gary. (laughs) Good. Gary, um, social media and open media platforms have many disadvantages, but they have also fantastic advantages. And they have so far in many ways served to curb freedoms by establishing a new dogma and establishing online mobs and fake accounts and troll farms and all of that. So there have been a massive threat on freedoms in many ways, but as we come to grips with them and as a fair regulatory environment tries to maximise the freedoms, they can only be absolutely wonderful for us. Um, My second book is called Stay Woke, Go Broke, because I wanted to really understand this mad zeitgeist shift that had happened with fallism and other political philosophies that will destroy South Africa that will destroy South Africa, and that's why I wrote that book. And it's fantastic because I see biz news as part of the huge fight back against that, and that is why your role is, is, is so fantastic. And that is the freedom that biz news has seized. For example, amongst many, many other platforms, that freedom to say you don't have to be trapped by these horrifically bad media houses. I mean, the Iqbal Surveys... Um, uh, independent so-called independent media still survives, it's just beyond me. I don't know you know, where he's getting the money from. But go woke, go broke is an absolute rule. That's why E-news is, is suddenly crashing. And all over the place, I mean the Sunday Times gave us a fair deal last week, I couldn't believe it. We actually had some articles that were published. And of um, course they realise they are losing readers hand over fist. Because you don't tell your readers what you think, what to think, you inform them and let them make choices that's a free society but the great thing is we aren't at the mercy of these media houses anymore and that's why people like biz news are growing that's why other alternative platforms are growing and that's why if I send out a tweet with almost one and a half million followers many 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 more people get to read that and engage in it and also my Facebook page than they would ever read in a newspaper so used well and with a proper regulatory environment it can help massively to maximise freedom, but there are risks attached to it.
0: Come, Stuart, come, Stuart, come, Stuart. Here we go. <laughs> uh, you, the, the microphone. you need the mic, Stuart. I'm Willie Kuzel. Oh, can you explain to us how it was possible for the patronage system to actually spread the way it did? unless it must have started with Nelson Mandela.
1: It did start with Nelson Mandela, absolutely. I mean, Nelson Mandela got up in 1997 and said, "Cada deployment is our policy. And then they established cater deployment committees under the deputy president. So, um Soro Ramaphosa, I can't run away from it, he, he chaired the, 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 the cada deployment committee and recently, he apologized to the Cada Deployment Committee for exercising his powers as a president to make an appointment without going through the Cada Deployment Committee. But let me also get more deep than that. Human beings look after their own. I don't know if you've read Francis Fukuyama, *The Origins of Political Order* and *Political Decay* and all his amazing books. He basically argues that human beings are function best in small groups. And those small groups look after each other. Little households, little tribes, and then they war and they fight for territory. That's how we all developed. And eventually you have big systems that then have to be governed by rules, not just a strong man looking after the tribe together. But it is deep in our roots and enables us to survive that we look after our own. And that is why when you have a huge system like a nation-state that has to function, you have to make that incredibly difficult transition to a rules-based system where no one can look after their own. I said to a a, a very good friend of mine once um, when, when I got into politics and I said to him that it's absolutely critical that we can't do this because it will be looked as if we are protecting our family and friends. And he said, but why would you want to get into this position with all the hassle and not look after your family and friends? Now, you see, it's so fundamental to human beings to do that, that in a constitutional democracy, you have to make a massive stretch and say, these are the rules. I am subject to the rules, even though I'm in charge, I can't change them. And I'm the first person that must abide by them. But with a cadre deployment system, what the ANC does is put its key cadres in different places to serve the party, and in serving the party, not the constitution, and not the people, and not the rules, they then get instructed by the party, who to give this one tender to, who to give that to, who to employ here, and that is why all the state-owned entities were captured. Forget about the boards, they were just ignored. The minister said, this is who you put there, that's what's all coming out in the Zondo Commission, which Wayne Duvenage is gonna talk about in a moment. that is what happens when the tiny little family notion of looking after your own gets implanted in an entire system because a transition to a constitutional democracy is such a difficult thing. And so that is what has happened all over. Nelson Mandela led that charge. Nelson Mandela led that charge. He's a worldwide saint for good reasons because he championed reconciliation. But laying the foundation for a constitutional demor- democracy was not his strong suit, not at all. So the critical thing is that the ANC's patronage network is what holds it together, and it is what happens in most countries. It's an absolute miracle that we get anything different. It's almost like thinking of the global mass after the Big Bang that suddenly coagulated into the earth with water, and then little fish came out and eventually became a human being. I mean, all of the things that came together to make that possible is about how miraculous it is to get human beings in their natural state to make a functional constitutional democracy work. That's how difficult it is. And that's our challenge, not over hundreds and hundreds of years, as they have in the mother of democracies, Britain, but in 30, 40 years. And that's why we need to fight so hard for it.
0: There's one last question, Helen, for you, here in the front.
2: Hi, Helen. Hi. Um, my name is Morviline Lawful. Um, Yeah, I have a question around uh, the black vote. Mm. Um, You just spoke now about how Nelson was involved in the patronage system and how you retrenched that. Um, Prior to that, there was obviously apartheid. So black people, you come from apartheid system and then the ANC is supposed to save you and fix the situation. They cock up, my my personal view, they cock up the um, TRC commission because there wasn't really a... A uh, reconciliation was a truth and the reconciliation part didn't really happen um, and then you've come to a point now where you know all of the you know so-called black well the black leaders or people who've been within the DA or started their own parties have either lost left or you know kind of disarray type of situation with regards to to black leaders in politics so how do you address the issue around black people and their trust for politicians, which I believe is decayed, and it's, that's why you see the EFF, and p- you know people will jump from pillar politi- to post with regards to, to political parties. How do you address that issue fundamentally to say, well, guys, this is where we need to go. Trust me in going that direction, and there will be an equal playing or level playing for, for, uh, for everyone. Kay.
1: Okay, thanks, Moele, for your question. The first problem is the notion that a leader says, trust me and follow me. Doesn't work that way, and it should never work that way in a democracy. We've just come from a two-day policy conference looking very, very carefully at our policy on migration, our policy on housing and human settlements, and our policy on energy and electricity. That is our product, that is what we put out there, and we say, people don't vote for us because of this person or that person, because these are the policies that can save South Africa. That is the first idea we have to get across. Secondly, the critical thing that we need to get people to understand is that nobody speaks for black voters. Black voters are individuals just like white voters are, just like voters of any color are. And we have to get away from the notion that all black people think alike, that all white people think alike, individuals think for themselves. That's why a guy like um, Big Daddy Liberty is such a refreshing thing on social media because he's a black conservative and he says, this is what I believe. And he stands up and he says it. And whether or not you agree with his ideas, he's breaking the notion that all black people think alike and what are you going to do about the black vote? What we are doing is speaking to individuals who want South Africans to work. We think the majority of black people and white people want South Africans to work, South Africa to work. All our polling tells us that black people and white people realize that we need each other to make South Africa to work, and that our job as a political party is to break our heads about the problems we're in and what policies will get us out of those problems, and to put an enormous amount of work into creating those policies, By the way, the head of our policy unit is the brilliant Gwen Gwenya, who you may or may not know. She's absolutely brilliant. She can think about policy and formulate policy like no one else I've ever known, and she's just led the policy charge in our policy conference and got those three policies with everybody contributing through. Now, the reason why the DA tends to work as a political party is because we have internal institutions, that function. We have a constitution in the DA, and we have internal institutions that function in a whole range of different ways. Take our candidate selection process. It is tough and difficult. You've gotta pass a candidate, a potential candidates program. You've gotta go through a major interview in an electoral college and get into a pool. Then you've gotta be interviewed by a selection panel. You've gotta give an impromptu speech. You've gotta be asked questions on that speech. You have to go through a very long process. And then you get on a list which the federal executive is allowed to make tiny adjustments to on critical grounds that are stipulated in the rules. No one can say, you, 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 and you will go. There's a process. In most other look at Julius Malema, he fires his whole Limpopo executive. The DA could never do that. We have a rule of law. And in the rule of law, you say to somebody, this is what you're charged with under the Constitution. You have a right to a defense. We will go through it properly. We've got lawyers on our federal legal commission. And the reason that we succeed in keeping going, despite the fact that we're not in power, is that we have internal institutions that are fair and work. doesn't mean we don't have huge fights. doesn't mean we say we don't have huge fights about policy but we have systems that manage those disagreements. And so we don't kill each other or assassinate each other or do all of those things because we have systems and the rule of law. And the only party in South Africa, the only one that has that is the DA. Julius Malema fires his his cabinet, I mean his Limpopo command just like that, I love I to see old Hargate McKenzie says, you're out, you're in, we'll fire you, you're going to be there, you do that. That is big man politics that is destroying Africa and many other countries besides, not only Africa. That's why we have to live the alternative. That's why we have to be the alternative. And individual black people, be they Gwen and Gwenye, be, be they Siviwe Gwahube, be they Bridget Masango, be they James Masango, no relation, be they Solim Milazzi, be they Solimasi Simanga, all of those are in our party as leaders because they believe in that idea. And when somebody like Albert Fritz is caught out harassing young women, people say, Why don't you fire him? Why? I say, No, because he's got the right to defense. We can say to him, You must defend yourself, and when the finding is that you're guilty, then you're out. You don't just draw conclusions and fire people. So we live what we want for South Africa, and the individuals, black or white, that believe that that's the only way this country succeeds come to the DA. And we do not believe, as the silly document says, you go for the urban black vote. What is the urban black vote? I'm, not talk- I'm talking about this silly document that I've just read over here behind me. It's individuals. And more and more individuals are coming to the conclusion, we have to think about what it is that will make South Africa work. And it's not big leaders, it's big institutions.
0: Helen, thank you. Thank you. It's been uh, uh, the opening keynote couldn't have asked for better. Thank you for coming so far, and thank you for uh, blessing us with your, your presence. It well, was such today.
1: a pleasure, Alec. And, you know, when I left for a while and started Tea with Helen, you were going to have a competition from me with my own news channel, but then I thought the temptation to go back and try and help with other people, many other people, fix the DA, was a much greater temptation. But thank you very much indeed, Alec.